For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is upon us once again, and just like every year, Kansas City is back in the Super Bowl, but additionally, every year on the Take It Easy podcast, we have to get you set for the most important bet you will make during Super Bowl Sunday. That is, of course, what color Gatorade is going to dunk the winning head coach after the Super Bowl. Now, traditionally, you would suspect that red would be the color to go for. I mean, Kansas City is red, San Francisco's red, they're different variations in colors, but guess what? Kansas City has won two of the last four Super Bowls, no red on the Gatorade color. In fact, red has not been the Gatorade color of choice in any of the previous 22 Super Bowls. Red never comes up on the Super Bowl odds list. So don't fall into the trap this year of thinking red is going to be the color. Instead, the favorite is the yellow-green color Gatorade, which, depending on where you gamble, you can get yellow and green at different colors, but the lemon-lime color of Gatorade is the favorite at plus 150. Orange and red tied at 275, blue at 400, and then at plus 450 we have purple. Now it's important to remember purple because purple was the winning color last year at the Super Bowl. When Kansas City beat Philadelphia, it was purple Gatorade that came through. And that was surprising because it was the first time in 11 years that purple Gatorade had been the Gatorade color of choice to dunk the winning head coach, not since the New York Giants won the Super Bowl in 2012. So it's an interesting conversation here. You could get the the lemon-lime color, perennially the favorite, most common type you're going to find, orange, a strong candidate, but if you're looking for a good value play this year, plus 400 on blue is a good choice, because blue has been the color of choice in three of the previous five Super Bowls. Blue was the Patriots' choice after they won the Super Bowl against the Rams, which again, Patriot blue, Ram blue, you could understand the color choice there. Blue was the color for the Buccaneers when Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. Blue was the color of choice when the Rams won the Super Bowl two years ago in Los Angeles. There's so many different options and so many different colors. Blue at plus 400 is the value play of the year. It is historically the most common color of choice, and even though last year we went with purple, blue is perennially at the top of the list. And last year, blue was the favorite. This year, blue's coming in at a long shot plus 400. I think blue is the play to go with for this year's big game color. Now, here's the fun catch. When you go to Bet Online Sportsbook with the link in the description of this episode and use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your original deposit. And if you take that 50% welcome bonus and put it all onto blue to win the Super Bowl, you're not getting plus 400 odds, you're getting plus 600 what you originally would have made. So you could make six times your money by betting on blue to be the color of Gatorade that is chosen when Kansas City wins the big game on Sunday. 
Was this three and a half minutes of big game analysis? Yes, it was. Was it three and a half minutes of deciding what color is going to be the Gatorade bath at the end of the game? You're damn right. And it was three and a half minutes well spent, and you should take this information, go to Bet Online Sportsbook, and make your picks today. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whatever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. That's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose. Hopefully you took our advice and are picking the blue Gatorade color to be the winning choice at the Super Bowl. If you didn't listen to the intro to the start of the show you should definitely go back and listen to that it was absolutely fantastic and i'm sure you guys will enjoy it it was fun it was fantastic and i sure am excited for the big game on its way kansas city versus san francisco is the game and before we dive into our weeks long big game coverage which will involve friend of the show walter mitchell and friend of the show morgan from australia and razor rosenthal and maybe blake jude all of our friends of the show from over the years coming together for the big game Got to take the time to do our eulogies, and our friend Juju Talk Sports and I uh, wanted to get together and knock out a bunch of these here this year. And so, uh, you know, at the end of every year, we kind of take a moment to reflect, look back at how the season has gone for a lot of these NFL teams. And this year, we we took on the divisional round later in the week. We'll we'll have some Baltimore and Detroit ones, I presume, later on, like after the Super Bowl, is when we'll talk about that. But For now, let's talk about those teams that got bounced out of the playoffs in the divisional round. The the Buffalo Bills are in an interesting and precarious position. Juju and I had fun breaking them down and the the state of that organization. The Houston Texans as well. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Where do things go for those teams in the, the pyramid scheme of pyramid scheme divisions in the NFL? Curious to see what fate will have in store for Houston and Tampa. And and Juju and I broke down all those possibilities and Mike Evans and Bobby Slowick and free agency and all sorts of interesting stuff around all those teams. But we're going to kick it off talking Buffalo because Buffalo is in this very interesting and very precarious position after a third loss in the playoffs against Patrick Mahomes, all three of which led to Mahomes. Uh, well, no, I guess I shouldn't say that because the one year Kansas City didn't go to the Super Bowl was the year that the, the greatest game maybe ever played in regular season NFL, um, the Buffalo-Kansas City divisional round game that Kansas City then lost the conference championship in with the 13 seconds left to go. It also inspired the Buffalo Bills song that we're going to play to kick off the segment because the Buffalo Bills are in a very interesting and precarious position. They're going to have to make some pivots, and uh, Juju and I broke that down after a fifth consecutive shortcoming for the Buffalo Bills, even though I'll argue that this season wasn't as disappointing as the previous ones because of how good the team was relative to their competition. 
it still sucks for Buffalo that for the third consecutive season, Buffalo is going to finish third place in the AFC. In 2021, they finished third behind Cincinnati and Kansas City. 2022, they lost to Cincinnati in the divisional round, even though they had the most talented team of any AFC team. And in the uh, this year, they were behind Baltimore and Kansas City, obviously. So for the third year in a row, Buffalo comes up third place in the AFC East. And uh, now they got to ask themselves some questions about how they even stick around in third place in the AFC, nonetheless trying to jump above Baltimore or Kansas City in the coming years. So Juju and I got that breakdown coming at you right now on this eulogy-filled Sports Radio Wednesday. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties, you keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball. Don't wanna slide. I just wanna dive. Send me the call. And I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball. Don't wanna slide. I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. I've seen this take trending on Twitter. Is Josh Allen the new age Philip Rivers? No, that's not fair to Josh Allen. And I love Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers was my childhood quarterback growing up in San Diego. But Philip Rivers was always the the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the NFL. I think the closest comp in terms of like, not in terms of playing style, but in terms of like where he falls into the hierarchy of great football players would probably be like the Drew Brees slash Russell Wilson camp. That would be the one that I think fits best for Josh Allen at this point. Cause you know, Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't quite 
fit perfectly into this era because what was so unique about the Brady Manning rivalry was that Manning was always regarded as the better quarterback. He had more MVPs. He had higher passer ratings. Most of his statistics were like he was regarded as the better quarterback than Tom Brady. But Tom Brady's teams were always coming out on top against Peyton Manning during the 2000s when that rivalry saw this, you know, explosion in popularity of football and the NFL built their their foundation of becoming America's most popular sport to kings of the American sports landscape. They built that on the Brady Manning rivalry. And what's different about this one is that the person who's regarded as the most skilled quarterback now and the one with the best physical abilities is also the better quarterback in the sense of Patrick Mahomes has now beaten Josh Allen three times in a row in the playoffs. And so at that point, I don't think it's really a Brady Manning rivalry, although I saw that they put Brady Manning rivalry graphics on the pregame you know the little uh you know the the hype video that they show on cbs to get it going and i was like oh i thought we were going to be responsible and not jump the gun on the brady manning stuff because if you're looking for a brady manning rivalry of sorts and i'm going to put that in air quotes because there isn't a true brady manning rivalry anymore if you're looking for something close to that it's mahomes and joe burrow it's not mahomes and josh allen so philip rivers is is a hall of fame quarterback and josh allen as well as a hall of fame quarterback but i think josh allen is probably in that drew Brees camp of quarterbacks if you if you're really looking for a a comparison to the previous era that i don't really think exists exactly the same well, I guess it would all come down to ultimately, does Josh Allen break through in the same way that Drew Brees broke through with New Orleans? Because we know Philip Rivers never broke through. And I think why a lot of people are drawing those comparisons is it just seemed like we hit a point where we stopped really putting Philip Rivers in the title discussions year after year. And it kind of feels like this Buffalo Bills team is starting to reach that breaking point as things start to progress. Like, yes, we accept that they're going to be good. Yes, we accept they might win the AFC East. But do we really truly truly see them as a title contender? This year, it, obviously, they got hot really at the end, and it's a lot more people started to believe and think, okay, yeah, this team can do it. Obviously, they beat Kansas City in the regular season. Third straight year, they've done that as well. So people were thinking to themselves, okay, well, if there was every year they get past Kansas City, they go against the Ravens. Uh, the last time they faced the Ravens in the playoffs, we know that they were able to get the best of Lamar Jackson and company get onto the Super Bowl, and then obviously you could beat either San Francisco or the Lions, respectively. Yet here again, we stand, they're stifled by their nemesis, Patrick Mahomes, who I didn't realize this. I I've completely forgot that the trade that brought Patrick Mahomes to Kansas City involved the Buffalo Bills. So it's just a bitter irony that they have to continue to choke down as they see once again Kansas City celebrating and getting celebrated on their home field. Uh, we we talked about Josh Allen earlier in the year when the Bills were really at their lowest when they were six and six. We talked about them as uh, Ken Dorsey got fired, insert Joe Brady, and that was before they got their hot streak going. And we said some things such as like the Super Bowl window might already be closing just because Josh Allen's the type of player that breaks down. Now, what went right during, for the Buffalo Bills in this hot streak? Well, they found a running game. That was a good thing for them. They found their running game. James Cook actually looked like a legit RB1 at points throughout this stretch. They cut down on the turnovers, which we know that has been the biggest bugaboo of Josh Allen's career. The turnovers, those began cut down under the Joe Brady era, era versus the Ken Dorsey era was a revelation. Um, we found out Sean McDermott's allegiances to Al-Qaeda. But, you know, aside from that, like the... 
bills were really clicking on all cylinders um, and kind of dispelled a little bit of some of the issues that we mentioned early on for them. But can this team continue to age like fine wine? Will they get better? Will they get worse from here? I don't think Stefan Diggs is going to be on this team next year. Gabe Davis might not be on this team next year. Uh, so they have a lot of issues to work through. Uh, Kyle, what do you make of this Buffalo Bills team projecting into the future? Okay, so projecting into the future, the outlook looks a little bit better than I thought it did at the start of the year. Because I kept bringing up this fact that like the Buffalo Bills have not drafted a pro bowler since the Josh Allen draft class of 2018. And this year kind of became a pivot because you saw some of those young players start to come into form. James Cook made a Pro Bowl at the running back position. Teron Johnson, who I think was a former fourth round pick for them. And if if you'll remember that that viral video of the player at the scouting combine who, when running the drill, turned the wrong way and got hit in the head by a pass that was coming the other direction. That was Teron Johnson. And that guy is now an all pro cornerback in the NFL. So remember, kids, your dreams can still come true even after you become a viral sensation on the Internet. So James Cook made a Pro Bowl this year. Teron Johnson made a Pro Bowl. Uh, They re-signed Ed Oliver, which I thought was an interesting choice, but Oliver had a great season this year, and he's a former first-round pick out there in Buffalo. Dalton Kincaid had a fantastic rookie season, and, and he's essentially their number two receiver at this point in the passing game. I mean, he was targeted five times in the Kansas City game, had five catches, for 45 yards like so the outlook of the bills looks better than it did at the start of the season because a lot of those young players finally did round into form however there is a lot of work that still needs to be done from the buffalo bills standpoint especially if stefan Diggs isn't going to be back next year which i don't know what to do with that situation i'm surprised with all of the nfl reporters yeah. out there there isn't more information about <laughs> what's really going on there uh create a pie chart of what you think the chances are that Stefan Diggs is going to be on this team. Yeah, let's call it. I, God, I, I really don't know because I don't understand why they wouldn't want to bring him back. Even at the dollar figure that he's at, he played not great the back half of the season and their offense yeah. kind of changed, which we can dive more into why that's the case and why, you know, if, if we dig deeper into that, why it's even more painful that they lost this football game. But Stefan Diggs had one of his worst, I think it was statistically the worst playoff game of his career against Kansas City. The back half of the season, he had uh, the same PFF grades as like, I I think it was like some backup receivers on non-playoff teams. Like he he was not much of a factor there. So maybe they look up and say, thank you for helping the development of Josh Allen, but we believe this offense has outgrown you and your $20 million a year salary. I guess I would say maybe... 60 40 that he's gone like 60 percent he's gone 40 percent he's back but that's a totally uneducated guess as it comes to digs but uh, buffalo has a lot of work to do especially with josh allen now firmly in the we're making 50 million dollars a year and even if we restructure his contract the lowest it's going to get to is i think like a 27 million dollar cap hit like they are firmly in the camp of our window to win with josh allen on the rookie contract is gone and now we, the front office of Brandon Bean and <laughs> likely Sean McDermott. I mean, I don't know what's happening with that, but the the, the management is going to have to come through and do some talent evaluation to improve that team within the margins. And I, and I will give them credit. They look a lot better four months later than they did at the start of the year because of the development of James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, Teron Johnson, guys like that. 
stepping up and showing out this year has been a huge improvement for Buffalo's chances going forward. Yeah, worst case, you know, if Brady ends up having one more good year with them, hey, Davon might be back on the market if things don't work out <laughs> with the New York Giants. They could always bring him back next year. So, I mean, what, when it comes to Josh Allen, like we've seen some positive strides. Yes. I mean, I, again, the back half of the season, there was games in which he was just a total non-factor in the offense. I think there was one game where he had like only 70 passing yards on the back. I think half it was the, the Patriot game. I think it was the New England game. No, I couldn't remember them airing it out. I thought it was like even the Cowboys game or something like that. At least when we saw, saw the mistakes start getting cut down, that was obviously when the Bills offense really started to come into its own. And if they could continue to build off this running game, because that was the biggest thing that we've been saying for the last couple of years is like, why can't this Buffalo Bills team run the football with anyone besides Josh Allen? Because we know that ju- that's just not a sustainable formula for winning in the sense that Josh Allen, the way he plays, the way he absorbs contact, you could age like Big Ben. You could age like Cam Newton. Cam Newton, the back half of his career, it looked like it hurt every time he threw the football. You don't want that from Josh Allen because we know that the arm talent that this guy has is phenomenal, a top-tier level. Um, In fact, you know, so much so, again, going back to Stephon Diggs and the failures in that game, reel in that 64-yard catch, should be catch. Man, when it comes to Stephon Diggs, like, like you said, things have been weird for like over a calendar year. So I probably would probably lean more like 70, 30 that he's not on this team next year. And I don't know necessarily how they go about replacing him. Who that next guy in that they try and bring, uh, do they try and like go after like a guy like uh T Higgins probably is going to be out there. Right. I get someone like that targets. This is supposed to be a really good wide receiver draft. Maybe they try and make a trade to get one of these high end guys. If you tell me they got a uh, Roma Dunze or something on this team or traded in the top 10, somehow got like someone like a Malik Nabbers, then, oh my God, that, that that's great. It's literally what happened to Stefan Diggs in Minnesota, where we trade you, move on from you, and then just get another rookie in here to just kick some ass. Like, hey, I'm sure there's going to be a trade market for Stefan Diggs, you know, if they want one. Like, uh, hey, maybe they just trade a problem for a problem with the Eagles, bring in a A.J. Brown, right? <laughs> and that's essentially how <laughs> oh. it works. God, that would be wild. Uh, by the way, just to to the stats you mentioned. So, yes, the Cowboys game was the one where they had a total of 93 or 94 passing yards. The Patriots game was the one that he had his worst passer rating of the season, which I thought was interesting that the against the, the Patriots who were terrible and they still won the game. Josh Allen had 169 yards, no touchdowns, a pick, a fumble it was not a good game to the point about the receivers. And I think this this leads into the point that. I talked about on my podcast that I thought was so interesting yet brutal for Buffalo is that after the 2021 playoff game between Buffalo and Kansas City that's regarded as like maybe the best in NFL history or like I don't know what you think but it's the best football game I've ever watched played the the Buffalo Kansas City 2021 four touchdowns in two minutes 13 seconds Mahomes ties the game wins it in overtime after that Buffalo spent two years making a conscious effort to change the way that they ran their entire offense to prepare for that exact game against that exact team. And the NFL at large made this shift because if you noticed like the last two seasons, offense has been at its lowest levels in 25 years over a two year period. And the reason that's the case is because teams have, have looked at the landscape of the league and essentially said, 
against the best offenses in the league, our best chance is to not necessarily slow the game down, but just if we run as few plays as possible, there's less variance for these high-powered offenses to score. Simultaneously, Kansas City, the, the, the gold standard for offense in the NFL, they made a conscious effort to move away from a explosive high-powered offense that I used to say was guaranteed to score 30 in every game to an offense that was precision-based, involved Mahomes completing 15 or 16 straight passes, most of them in the short part of the field. And part of the reason they did that was just because they didn't want to pay Tariq Hill. But the other part of it is that was kind of the direction the NFL was moving, was sit on the ball, slow, like dominate time of possession. You saw that 49ers-Packers game where Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur were having like a Batman versus Superman battle of time of possession as both teams were just obsessed with dominating time of possession. Buffalo made this conscious effort to move away from the high-powered, high-octane offenses that they had the first two years with Allen and Diggs and specifically moved to a run-based ball-dominant offense. Last year, when they had the best team in the NFL talent-wise, at the end of the season, they actively sacrificed games where they could have like dropped 35 on teams to establish the run, establish the run. For years, they've been trying to find a running game outside of Josh Allen. And it finally all came together this year. James Cook was a pro bowler. They were able to run an offense that controlled ball possession. It made Stephon Diggs, their top end receiver, almost obsolete at times. But they built an offense that was predicated on James Cook running the ball, dominating time of possession, using Josh Allen and RPOs. They completely changed the way they ran offense specifically to play this game against Kansas City. And last year, the problem was in the playoffs. Cincinnati got up like 14-0 on them, and then Cincinnati could sit on the ball in a way that Buffalo wasn't able to, but that was just because they gave up 14 quick points in the first quarter of that playoff game last year. And so they get to this game, they have their offense humming, Kansas City scored on all five possessions they had to start the game, and were still losing. They were still losing despite scoring on all five of their possessions. And in the fourth quarter, Buffalo down three, got the ball, sat on it for six and a half minutes, executed the offense exactly the way they had planned to execute it. And then the kicker missed the kick. And when the kicker missed the kick, it was like, wow, everything we had tried to do to get ourselves to overtime yeah. against Kansas City, to beat the precision offense of Kansas City, everything we did to plan for this exact game against this exact team all fell out the window as soon as the kicker missed the kick. And now, that's just a brutal way to lose that game. And it, it leaves so yeah. many questions going forward. Well, the one thing I just want to address with the kicker missing the kick is that would have just tied the game, right? So we would have just mm -hmm. been going to overtime. And at that point, anything can happen. And the Bills defense certainly wasn't stopping Mahomes on but the tail remember, end of that game. They changed the overtime rules for Josh Allen. They changed the overtime rules two years ago so that both teams would get the ball in overtime. And 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 we just haven't had an overtime game in the two years since to test out the new overtime rules. But they specifically changed the overtime rules so that Josh Allen would get the ball in overtime of that game. I understand. I understand. But at the same time, the assumption that a lot of Bills fans are jumping to that we would have won that game had we been able to make that kick. Uh, there was a lot of things that the Bills could have done to have won that game. First off, you could actually have just scored the touchdown instead of settling for a field goal. Had you been able to complete the drive with Josh Allen just, you know, going after the wide open wide receivers. They had a guy that was literally running a drag route across the field wide open, could have hit him and you would have been able to. First down, easy, keep the clock running, keep the clock running. 
And if anything, obviously we know the 13 seconds was enough times for Mahomes a couple of years ago, but even still, you would have been able to drag that clock down to less than a minute and maybe you score the touchdown. Probably you score the touchdown. Heck, run quarterback draw. That was working early on. You talked about them using Allen in the playoff game a couple of years ago. He was really running successfully in this game again, too. He had uh, a couple touchdowns and it, it just seemed that second half, you know, things started to shift as far as how Kansas City was playing it. Know that Tyler Bass is taking a lot of heat right now, but obviously I mentioned the Stefan Diggs drop earlier. And mentioning Josh Allen's inability to spot a wide open receiver that's flashing in front of his face, another issue that needs to be addressed um, and receive more criticism than it seems like it's actually receiving. Andy, also on the it was that last possession when they had the ball, I think the closest they got was the Kansas City 26. And so I think it was that second down throw to Shakir that ended up coming up short of Shakir when he was kind of coming across towards the end zone. Uh, on that play, yeah. you got to give credit to Chris Jones of Kansas City pushing the offensive lineman into Josh Allen to avoid that, to to mess up the timing of that throw. Because if Allen has all the time in the world to make that throw, maybe they complete it, maybe they score a touchdown, and, and we're talking about this differently as well. There's so True. many factors at play. I, I will give that, but at the same time, he got he got lightly bumped. He got grazed, you know, relative yeah. to a guy of Josh Allen's size. He could be able to reposition himself and get a better throw in, get his feet underneath him. So Jones did a great job pushing the offensive lineman back into him, but Josh Allen panicked and just freaked out on that throw when he didn't have to. He could have yeah. reset, scrambled a little bit, use his legs, because again, we saw him using his legs throughout the game. And it, it, Josh Allen deserves a little, a lot of criticism. Stefan Diggs deserves criticism. Tyler Bass, yeah, again, when we get to see a kicker miss a field goal late in the game, it's devastating, but at the same time, would have just tied the game, wouldn't have been the game winner. Not exactly the same situation as the 91 Super Bowl wide right, but obviously if you're a Bills fan, it's tough to get over that kind of stuff. I get it. And, yeah. Yeah. And added to the fact that on defense, Kansas City essentially scored on every time they touched the football until the last drive of the game. And I will give them credit. They got to stop on the last drive of the game. But they scored on their first five possessions. McCole Hardman fumbled at the half yard line, and then they got a punt on the possession that then set up the missed field goal. Kansas City averaged nine yards per play for a good bulk of that game. Nine yards a play on that Buffalo defense. Like Buffalo's defense was notoriously hurt, and they have some question marks to address. I think other than the wide receiver position, like some of those those issues in the for their defensive backs and linebackers are going to be the bigger question marks when you talk about what comes next yeah. for Buffalo, but they they did a terrible job trying well, to slow down that Kansas City defense. Well, you know, uh, injuries, you know, like Matt Milano being hurt, Tredavious White being hurt, you know, those are things that ideally you would get fixed. I, for Tredavious White, I know it's a different story because we're talking about a guy who literally had back-to-back devastating injuries. So if he ever comes back the same cornerback that he was prior, um, it remains to be seen. Um, Von Miller getting old, you know, he's on the back end of his career. So like when he comes back next year, like, how's he going to be? How are they going to make that? Are they going to move some cap around? Is or Are they going to like make someone a cap casualty because of, you know, the salary cap issues that they're facing? We'll see. But like, those are some of the things that if injuries break right for you in terms of the recovery process, those will fix themselves. The back seven issues you're talking about. I, but, I, yeah. I guess you could say that, especially with Milano coming back. It's just 
I feel like they do have more questions than they have answers for. And I think one of the things that's really going to help is I mentioned him earlier, Teron Johnson really coming into form as a slot corner has really, really helped what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, you're right. They some of those injuries coming back will help them. And, you know, Josh Allen, I mean, you can point to that last drive of the game again. And I keep going back to this because it's interesting. Like, even with the defensive faults, they were in a position to tie or win the game. And and if Allen does what he says he does, which is reset, readjust, maybe scramble for or for six or seven yards or even four yards makes makes that last play a little bit more deceptive because after the incompletion of Shakir, you have a third and nine. Kansas City kind of knows what's coming on the third and nine. They didn't blitz. They dropped back uh, seven into coverage. Allen tried to scramble. They were able to seal the edge. He just had to throw it away. Like they became entirely predictable at the end of the game, which isn't a bad thing when your offense is totally dominating against a defense for a good portion of the game. But when they became predictable, there was just that Kansas City's defense stepped up. And this is the second year in a row that in a big game, Kansas City's defense has stepped up strategically at big times. In the AFC Championship game last year, Chris Jones got a critical sack on Joe Burrow that led to the punt, and that was the last play the Bengals had on offense. Or I guess Butker's kick was... not was Yeah, Butker's kick was a walk-off in the AFC Championship game, so it was the last play that the Bengals had on offense. And then this year, on second and nine, defense stepped up. James Cook had negative eight rushing yards on, or I'm sorry, negative six rushing yards on his final four carries. Like Kansas City's defense stepped up big when they had to. And I think that also deserves some credit as we talk about Buffalo needing issues on defense, what the receivers are going to look like next year. Like Kansas City's defense really did step up on that last drive of the game. And I don't want to make it seem like it was all these bum players that are going to get moved out at the end of the year by Buffalo. Um, yes, this was the worst yeah. of the four Buffalo teams that made the playoff, but they they still have some very good players. Kansas City's defense did step up big time at the end, and Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. That offense kicked it into high gear once the playoffs rolled around. This was a team that you said was going to be horrible and they were anything but the Houston Texans under first year head coach D'Amico Ryans and rookie quarterback CJ Stroud. They were good. They were really good this season. And I'm looking at their division, right? So we thought last year when we looked at the Jaguars, oh, the Jaguars, this is just going to be their division to lose on a year in year out basis. But now I'm starting to have questions. Now I'm starting to have questions in particular their quarterback. But you know what? I think C.J. Stroud is a star, and I think C.J. Stroud has eclipsed Trevor Lawrence as the best quarterback in the AFC South, and I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. Kyle, like, when we look at this Houston Texans team, they took some chances, they took some risks. Trading up for Will Anderson last year was a big risk to get two picks in the top five, but all things hit for them. Uh, The biggest question I have for them at this point is, what happens with Bobby Slowick, and can they replace him if he moves forward? Um, What about you? I mean, that's the biggest question at this point for the Texans, right, is what's going to happen with Bobby Slowick and do they get a second year to kind of run this thing back with the same core of their team? 
that's the biggest short-term question mark. They they can do some interesting things with the roster because they do have a lot of cap space available at their disposal. So we'll we'll see what they do with the roster itself. They they have some interesting choices there. First and foremost, I would just like to congratulate the Texans on on proving that consequences don't matter. <laughs> There's no consequences for bad behavior in the NFL. Houston Texans, they ran that organization into ground. They hired a youth pastor to be their their president of football operations, despite the fact he was not qualified to be uh, a president of football operations. He just liked to pray with the owner a lot. And so they gave him the position and and he ran the organization into the ground, uh, fun- funded three different NFL teams, most successful runs of the last 15 years. When you talk about Cleveland, Miami and Arizona, Gave Miami all those draft picks for Tunsil. Gave Arizona DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt for free. We know what happened with Cleveland. Like, just congratulations on running your organization into the ground, going through four head coaches in three years, and just proving that consequences don't matter. Because then you got the the best coaching candidate to hit the market in the last three years in D'Amico Ryans, who chose them over the Denver Broncos. Remember, the Broncos wanted D'Amico Ryans. Sean Payton was their B option for head coach. And D'Amico took the Texans' job over the Broncos' job. And Can we add just the context that you you took the Texans' job because they had a better draft position, which obviously turned into C.J. Stroud. You weren't locked into Russell Wilson. And he played for the Houston Texans. That's the one. He played there for the Texans. So there's at least multiple variables there that made that a more desirable job. Yes, took that job when he could have had any of the openings in the NFL. And honestly, I understand him taking that job over the the Panthers in hindsight, the Colts, the Cardinals makes sense. It wasn't a very good hiring cycle for teams last year, but got that nailed the quarterback who had. I mean, people were bringing this up, and I think there's a case to be made had the greatest rookie season of any quarterback ever because Patrick Mahomes' MVP season was technically his second year, but first as a starter, like jumping into the league and going like CJ Stroud was a top four quarterback in the NFL this year. I mean, there is a little bit of a dispute between four and five, depending on how you feel about one Dakota Prescott's season. But I mean, he was legitimately one of the four best quarterbacks in the NFL right off the bat. And that's something that I don't think Trevor Lawrence, as good as Trevor Lawrence has been, I don't think he's ever been a top four quarterback in the NFL during any of his three seasons in the NFL. No, at this point, you know, I'm itching to say that Trevor Lawrence is closer to 15 than he is to five, you know, like in terms of actually his output over the last couple of years and his out, it's starting to get to the point where it's harder to make excuses for Trevor Lawrence in terms of, Oh, you know, he, he had the urban Meyer thing, you know, we're, we're getting distance from that. We started to expect to see more, like, especially when, again, you have Stroud in his own division coming in and taking his lunch money, you know, and yeah. can, you, you know, there is a mission of someone who deserves a real shout out as we talk the Houston Texans and their success this season. How about it for Lovey Smith? Lovey <laughs> Smith, the real MVP, getting them out of that one spot. Little did they know, little did they know that that would force them into making the right decision in the end. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that moment is going to be just magical. Just amazing. Again, no consequences for your actions, Houston Texans. Congratulations. No consequences for running your organization into the ground. After the Texans were up 24-0 against Kansas City with a chance to potentially go to the Super Bowl, they would have hosted the AFC Championship game against Tannehill's Titans. 
up 24-0 against Kansas City. They had the worst record in the NFL over a three-year span. They won 12 total games, and then they went out and won 11 this year. After yeah. winning 12 games in three years, they won 11 games. It's so stupid and so funny, <laughs> but good on the Texans for for pulling that out. And uh, they, yeah. they were essentially this year's Jaguars, right? They go from having the, the number two pick in the draft to winning a crappy division, and by virtue of winning a crappy division... They they got a playoff game against a five seed that they ended up winning a surprising victory, right? That's exactly what the Jaguars did last year, like tit for tat, exactly what the Jaguars did last year. So commend the Texans. They have work to do to, to maintain their position, especially because three teams in the AFC South had a winning record last year. So the AFC South might be mediocre, but they do have teams that are at least competent in that division. So it will be tough for them to, to maintain their crown because I don't think either of the Texans, Jaguars, or Colts are going to do anything this offseason that like truly separates them from the pack of the group. Well, what could separate for the Colts is we'll see, and this is still unknown, what does Anthony Richardson come back and look like? Because he looked interesting in those first couple games. He looked like he could be a problem for NFL defenses, um, just given his skill set and his abilities. But uh, health is going to be one of the big things. Health permitting Anthony Richardson having a successful NFL career because Shane Steichen... You know, he showed some promise as the head coach of that team. So the Colts, yeah, they, they could be good moving forward. I, I know that the Jaguars are making some changes, in particular in the coaching staff, to try and uh, fix things for Trevor Lawrence, fix things for this Jags team moving forward. Um, but yeah, again, you meant, we're, we're talking about the Bobby Slowick thing. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a constant issue, and it, it does suck why – you know, defensive coordinators don't get more of an opportunity at head coaching job. But if you're going to draft a young quarterback, you, you just want that guy that that's going to be with him for the early part of his career, instrumental in his development. And if they lose Bobby Sloak, that's going to be a heavy impact on CJ Stroud, regardless um, of anything else, because you see it every time. Like we talk about these highly coveted prospects, seven coordinators in seven years, you end up like Marcus Mariota or Alex Smith. It, it impacts you. It's hard to get away from. You know who I want to also say something about, too? I thought Nick Casario was on his last legs there as the GM, but they made some great draft picks this year. And Tank Dell, it was unfortunate what happened to him um, with his, uh, I think he broke his leg straight up. Um, unfortunate what happened to Tank Dell there. But if Tank Dell returns healthy, um, you know, the building around, you know, Nico Collins look good, too. They have a good wide receiving core. That actually started to look like that that could be a good one-two punch movie forward um again i mentioned will anderson Derek stingley was hurt during this point but you know the funny part is i think the texans this season could have been better let's let's we forget that uh cj stroud missed games this season because of the concussion and hopefully that's not a reoccurring thing for him because missed several weeks for a concussion that's kind of concerning relatively to other guys who have been in concussion protocol and come back that week but the fact that he was able to come back, make the playoffs and everything like that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a little bit better oddly about this Texans playoff run than I did about last year's Jaguars playoff run. Like the Jaguars kind of like look like they were just still kind of just figuring it out, just getting by, just getting like um, close victories and everything like this. This Texas team, they were kicking people's ass. I mean, look what they did to the Browns in the first round of the playoffs. Like they didn't mess around. They buried the Browns. Even non-concussion 
territory for CJ Stroud. One of the other things that just makes their season look a little bit worse than it was, was they lost a game to the Jaguars where the game time kick hit the crossbar, hit the crossbar on a field goal that ended up losing them the game. Like if the ball bounces another direction, maybe they get a win against the Jaguars and they didn't even have to like have a winner go home game the last week of the season against the Colts. Like it was, it was a crazy, silly way for the Texans to win that division. And once again, AFC South pyramid scheme, as always a a decade's worth of work, pyramid scheming your way through the NFL and siphoning billions of dollars away from Disney and ESPN. You guys have done a great job pyramid scheming your way. They did it again this week. What was the most boring game of the divisional round weekend? It was Texans and Ravens. Once again, (laughs) siphoning money away from Disney in their first ever playoff divisional round game well just doing a great job of stealing money that will be the next question that the texans have to answer right is we we accept that they were going to get blown out by the baltimore ravens like of all the betting lines of the weekend i think most people felt most confident in the ravens uh minus nine right but but moving forward can they be on those guys tier can they get to the point of being at the ravens level at the chiefs level at the bills level um, with these other teams that were still in the playoffs. And you have the quarterback figured out. It seems like you have the right coach because even though he may never be like the play caller for them, like on offense, D'Amico, you know, I, I think he was calling plays for them defensively, you know? So that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of like these guys who get defensive guys to get head coaching positions don't do. Robert Sala wasn't doing that when he got the head coaching position for the Jets, which I think is a big feather in his cap for D'Amico, but he's always just going to be a great high energy guy. He's always going to be a guy that guys want to play for a true, as they say, leader of men. Like that's what D'Amico Ryans is. So like coach quarterback. All right. That's great. Again, I mentioned the young wide receivers and Nico and tank. If he comes back healthy, that's great. They need to fix the running game. Now, we we talked about this before, but I think there's a big name free agent running back that's going to be available that I think the Texans should pursue and Derrick Henry. If they add him, I think that that's going to be very valuable. Of course, fix up the offensive line. You want to protect your guy. You want to make sure that CJ Stroud is on both feet. Derek Stingley came back. He looked, he looked good. He looked good coming back off his injury. Hopefully he continues to build off of that. If they just keep adding to this defense, right? Just keep getting pieces, maybe a linebacker or two. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that those are going to be some pieces, things that need to be addressed if the Texans want to level up. But I think that they have the right foundation. They have the right foundation to build a house on at this point. And and you mentioned D'Amico putting together the defensive game plans for this season. And I think that was a huge deal for why they were as good as they were, because this was the most overachieving defense in the NFL. And they were still about average. They finished 18th in DVOA at the end of the season. You know, this wasn't an elite defensive unit that that the strength of the team was obviously built on their top of the line offense that had CJ Stroud and Nico and Tank Dell for a while. And by the way, what I think might be the most undervalued player in the NFL in two different places he's been, which is Dalton Schultz. Like Dalton Schultz is essentially Mark Andrews in my book. And the 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 Cowboys walked in and said, we can replace Mark Andrews and really didn't because CeeDee Lamb had the highest percentage of any team's offense in the NFL this year. Add in the fact that Dalton Schultz had an incredible season at the tight end position for the Texans and the defense, which you mentioned Will Anderson, you mentioned Derek Stingley. Um, the rest of that defense was essentially 
just a bunch of dudes that were waived by other teams. I'm not even talking about like free agent signings on one year deals, just dudes that other teams said we don't want anymore. Uh, Derek Barnett was their other edge rusher this year, just got straight up waived by the Philadelphia Eagles earlier this year. Uh, Malik, uh, what is it? Jackson from, uh, he's been in a bunch of, I'm uh, sorry, Malik Collins, not Malik Jackson. Malik Jackson used to play for the Broncos. Malik Collins was someone who just got waived earlier this year. Did you know that they had Kareem Jackson on that team? The dude that got waived by the Broncos because he hit too many people in the head. Kareem Jackson was on this defense <laughs> this year. They were just signing dudes that were rejects from everywhere else. Jimmy and we're Ward, still right? Together still on that team, right? Jimmy Ward was one of their yep. leaders. Jimmy Ward, he was a he was a reject from somewhere else. Jalen Petrie, he well, was a reject. San Francisco, not reject. Jimmy Ward was uh, a good player. Denzel Perriman, he got waived halfway through last season. Re- come to the Texans. The Texans will take all of your rejects and put them into a, a defense. Now, granted, that's not a sustainable model for success. But D'Amico looked up and said, this was the worst defense in the NFL last season. And you know how we're going to fix it. We're going to trade our first round pick for next year for an edge rusher. And we're just going to bring in new people. We bring in new people who know how to run this defense. We can put together a competent defense and they achieved that for this year, but they would really, really like to have players that are not just everyone else's rejects for whatever reasons. Barnett getting waved by the Eagles, Jimmy Ward, again, Kareem Jackson, who again, I forgot was on the Texans after the Broncos essentially cut him because he hit too many people in the head. Like they just had everyone's rejects in there on that defense and were just trying their very best to, to put it together and make it work. And they did. They were they were the most overachieving defense of this season by just being league average. And then when the playoffs rolled around, Steven Nelson, who again, another Philadelphia reject, Steven Nelson had a pick six in a playoff game that ended up swinging the tides in their fortunes against Cleveland. So yeah, if D'Amico can do that with rejects from everywhere else, imagine what D'Amico can do with uh, a defense that actually has second, third, and fourth round picks and some big money free agents that they maybe go out and sign. And I'm not just talking about like the one-year stop gaps, like like go out and sign some legitimate free agents like maybe Kenny Moore over there with the Colts or going out and signing so, some guys who are you know finishing their fourth year on their rookie contract and maybe looking for a three or four year deal from somewhere else. Let, let's let's see what happens when they actually pour resources into that defense and, and see what D'Amico can do with them. Yeah, yeah. If you're a Texas fan, I mean, you got to be excited. You know, they definitely are setting themselves up well into the future. Again, going back to the Deshaun Watson deal i mean the fact that they have draft picks to work with too because of that that's something that can't be underrated as well leave a like of the video uh drop below your thoughts on this year's texas team in the comment section subscribe to the channel follow us on all our social medias from juju and kyle stay safe happy and healthy we'll see you next time Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.